Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman, and it is time for part two of Glad You Asked. You know, last week we answered some really interesting questions like, was Jesus a practicing Jew? How do we handle modesty issues at church? What is pietism? And my favorite, what are your thoughts on the Passion Conference? We definitely had some thoughts about all of those things. And of course, we went to scripture as we will tonight. And this week, we've got even more of your questions to answer. So let's jump right in. Uh, what is first on the docket, Michelle? Well, this is from a private message on our Facebook page, and she says, I try to be careful with what I share on Facebook, but I was recently talked to by my small group leader about sharing one of Justin Peters' recent videos on First Baptist Orlando because of the meme that he had in it and the fact that it equated the actions of that church to the SBC, and it was felt that this was not fair. My church is an SBC church. I want to re-listen to that video so that I can understand if the criticism is valid. What is your feeling about how the process should be to respond or whether this is just something to let go of? Okay, so let me just recap this a little bit so we're all on the same page. I'm I'm going to call, I, I don't do well with anonymous, so I'm, yeah. I've got to give the lady a name. I'm going to call the lady who sent in the question Fiona, because I kind of like the name Fiona. All right, so Fiona posted on her own Facebook page a Justin Peters video that was critical of a couple of things that happened at First Baptist Church Orlando. And Fiona goes to a different SBC church, Southern Baptist Church, and Fiona's small group leader at her church took issue with Fiona posting that video because she was concerned, the small group leader was concerned, that all of Fiona's Facebook friends would think that First Baptist Orlando and the problematic things that that they do are representative of the entire Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, everybody with me so far? Okay, good. All right, so I'm I'm pretty sure that the video Fiona is talking about is Justin Peters' video called FBC Orlando's Shocking Capitulation. And of course, we'll put that link in the show notes for you. And I believe what Fiona is describing as a meme in the video is actually the title card, which is just, it's the title image that you see before you actually click play on the video. And the title card shows this cathedral-like church, which is not First Baptist Orlando, I can assure you. But this cathedral-like church has a rainbow flag on the flagpole out in the front yard. And the caption says, uh, the caption on that picture says, FBC Orlando's four marks of a healthy church, LGBTQ, transgendered, sexually immoral, heretics. And of course, this is an allusion to what one of FBC's pastors recently said that Justin deals with in the video. So it's referring to something in the video. So the premise of the video is that the Southern Baptist Convention as a denomination is capitulating on the issue of homosexuality. Justin cites two incidents from First Baptist Orlando, one from former SBC President J.D. Greer, and another one from former SBC President and current SBC bigwig, I guess you could call him, uh, James Merritt, to support his point. So the video isn't strictly about FBC Orlando, but Justin's entire point is that the incidents there and the two other incidents that he cites 
are representative of the SBC's slide as a denomination toward accepting homosexuality. So I think Fiona's small group leader either didn't get that or she's concerned that people will see the video and think every single church in the Southern Baptist Convention, including the one that she and Fiona are members of, is moving toward accepting homosexuality, even though Justin says at the very beginning of the video that there are still lots of good, solid individual churches in the SBC. So Fiona's question about all of this is, what is your feeling about how the process should be to respond or whether this is just something to let go of? Fiona, or whatever your name is, uh, I think that's totally up to you. You've got a better feel for the situation and the interpersonal dynamics of this than I do. If you want to have a calm, kind discussion with your small group leader to get a better understanding of, of her position or to explain your position better, you know, pray about it and talk to her about it. Or if you feel like she said her part and you've said your part and nothing else needs to be said, that's fine, too. Spend some time in prayer about it and ask God for wisdom about what you should or shouldn't do and say. Now, just a few more things I want to say about this to Fiona and then to all of our Southern Baptist listeners. Fiona, I'm assuming that your small group leader is just another lady or gentleman in the church, a lay person. But I know that some churches have their elders uh, lead the small group. So if that's the case here and your elder, one of your elders is leading your small group, I would be much more concerned about where your pastor and elders stand on what Justin talked about in the video. And I would encourage you or your husband or both of you to set up an appointment with the pastor and elders and go calmly and kindly, of course, find out where they are on this. In fact, even if your small group leader is a lay person, I would still probably encourage you to go set up an appointment and talk to them and and just see where they are on all of this, because this is really important, because Justin is absolutely right about everything he said in the video. And if your pastor and elders are saying that he's wrong for speaking out or they're denying the truth of what he said, that's not a small problem. That's a maybe we should start looking for a new church problem. And if you do end up needing to find a new church, check out the show notes for some helpful links. We're going to put some in there. And I'm also going to put a link in this week's show notes to our episode, how to to talk to your teacher, how to talk to your church leaders about false teachers. I know this issue isn't specifically about false teachers, but it will help you as you prepare to discuss this with them. And then finally, to all of our Southern Baptist listeners, I strongly recommend that you watch Justin's video, especially if you don't know what's going on in the SBC outside the four walls of your own church. Listen, bad things are happening in the SBC, and you need to get informed about it. And your pastor needs to be informed about it, too, if he isn't already. Amy, anything to add? Yeah, um, and I agree with everything you said. Uh, there are some big concerns. Uh, more on that in just a second. But, um, you know, 
I don't know what was said in the post. And, and granted, this is her own personal Facebook page, right? So Facebook is a little bit different than, say, other forms of social media. Facebook, you know, you're, it, it's out there and things could be misconstrued. So perhaps the small group leader, and I'm just, I, I have no idea, but it could be that the small group leader was concerned uh, that Fiona maybe was sinful in, in the way she posted it. I don't know. Didn't see the post. Uh, or maybe a Fiona Fiona could, um, you know, change the intro on her post. Again, I don't know what it said. Maybe it wasn't clear. Um, you know, Fiona, she she might give grace and say that, yeah, you know, small group leader, I, I may have uh, worded that a little bit better. I, I probably could have done that, something like that. Or like you said, Michelle, she might just choose to, um, you know, let that go, nod and smile and you know, pick your battles, that kind of thing. So it, it's hard to tell. It, it really is. But sometimes, you know, it when we're posting discernment things, especially something as shocking as that, because that is pretty shocking. And I have seen it and it's, it's really disgusting. Um, you know, we, we might be lacking in grace when we post such things. It's been known to happen, even to yours truly. So, uh, yeah, we, we could all do better in that. But however Fiona said it, uh, you know, again, that there's, there's freedom in, in the way that we, uh, can handle the situation with the small group leader. So, uh, at the very least, we know the small group leader, um, isn't shy about approaching us. So, you know, that's, that's, a, I guess that's a good thing. So, um, again, we don't know what the concern was. That uh, that the small group leader had, if it was that Fiona was maybe harsh, or maybe it wasn't clear. Maybe it sounded like um, you know we were painting with a big brush. I don't know. But uh, one thing I, I will share is that uh, some of our listeners uh, have probably heard me say last summer that our church did vote unanimously to leave the SBC for many reasons. Uh, some of the same red flags that Justin Peters outlines in his video um, won't belabor that point, but we were uh, paying to be members of this uh, SBC organization, our church was, and, and we have a very small church. And so we decided that it was wise and best to uh, part ways with the SBC. We still give to missions and do all the things that we did before, but uh, we don't pay to be a part of something that we don't want to be a part of, right? So some churches stay in there hoping to turn things around. I respect that. And I hope and pray that that happens. Um, looks doubtful, but you know what? The Lord can do uh, anything, right? So uh, it, it's within his power. And uh, and so we'll put that at his feet and trust in him, um, you know, the way he wants it to be in his will. All right. Uh, let's see. Next question. Uh, Rhonda on Facebook wrote this to us. She said, how do I approach my husband regarding sin, specifically sin with anger, profanity, grumbling, not towards me, she says, but towards uncontrollable circumstances at work and etc." Uh, she writes, he claims to be a believer, but I don't see evidence for that other than weekly uh, attendance to Bible study and church. I don't see him read his Bible, but he does pray with the family occasionally. I'm not sure how to pray for salvation or conviction of sin. I've prayed for both. Well, thank you, Rhonda. This is a, a tough spot to be in. Um, and like you've said, your husband does not appear to be displaying much fruit right now. Uh, one thing you mentioned is his walk with Christ, and it sounds like you're not sure 100% if he is saved. Um, and, but we do need to know that there are many men who are regenerated and who do, uh, you know, deal with anger issues from time to time. So it's important that you as his wife are supporting him and praying for him, like you said. And I know you have been praying. 
Um, you did say that he is not regularly in the Word, as far as you can tell, uh, but that he is going to church, so at least he is hearing the Word on a regular basis. That's a good thing. Um, my hope is that you are going to a solid church where the gospel is being preached and that there are men in the church who model what a godly life looks like for a man. Uh, yes, work can be very frustrating, and you are probably the one person that he has on this earth that he can vent to about this, but he does need to bring his frustrations to Jesus in prayer. Uh, your question was about how to pray for him, so I do have some thoughts about that. In your alone time, not with him, but when you're alone with the Lord, do pray for his salvation. You know, he can't be convicted of his sin if he's not saved. And pray that the Lord would bring some godly men to him for wise counsel. But, you know, you don't want to accuse him of being unsaved or acting unchristlike. These prayers are for your time in solitude. And while you're there, you might also ask the Lord to give you patience and wisdom and kindness and forgiveness. So <clears throat> what can you do with him? Well, one thing you could do is ask him some questions about his work and let him know that you've been praying for these situations that are out of your husband's control. I mean, we can't control what these people at our workplaces can do. Uh, but then you want to ask him if he would mind very much if you prayed with him for him together. So with your husband listening, you want to ask the Lord uh, that the Lord would give him wisdom in how to handle these situations at work or wherever it is, and uh, ask that the Lord would also give your husband has been grace toward those who are frustrating him. Ask that he show your husband how to trust more in God, uh, who, and remind him, you know, God is the one who actually is in control when other things we can't control. Ask that God draws both you and your husband close to each other and closer to Christ through this trial. And you can remind him too that trials are what we all experience as Christians and that uh, these are meant to build our character and shape us into Christ likeness. So ask him, could it be also, honey, uh, might it be time for him to think about finding a new job? You know, with so many people hiring these days, this might be the time to prepare to move on from this current job circumstance. Job pressure is tough on the whole family. I remember that this happened to us, uh, our own family, when my husband's job went south and his workplace uh, at one time had become very toxic. Uh, once he finally did move on, it really made a world of difference. And that's, you know, just some thoughts that I had. What do you think, Michelle? That's really great advice, Amy. And I would just, the only thing that I would add is as, as you're going through this, this time with him, try to remember to encourage him when, when he does, uh, something that, you know, you appreciate. Be sure and tell yeah. him, uh, when you're praying, you know, don't just pray about the, the problems that, that you're having or that he's having or whatever, but also thank God for, you know, even the smallest of things about your husband uh, and, and make sure that you don't just concentrate on the problems, but you also focus on the good things as well. So, all right. Okay. Our next question is from an Instagram direct message. And she says, hi, I really appreciate the Catholic Mass podcast. I know a lady who is dying and she told me that she is Catholic. And I told her I was a Christian and that we need to be in the word daily. Do you think I should share this podcast with her? How should I best approach her? She hasn't asked me about anything about Christianity and I doubt she wants to know. Well, I'm so sorry about your friend. What a what a sad situation. And um I think our listener is talking about our recent episode 
Roman Catholicism mass confusion. And I believe she sent in her question after that episode, but before we released our interview with Mike Gendron, which was entitled Truth in Love. So I would highly recommend to our listener that she listen to that episode, Truth and Love, if she hasn't already, because that episode was specifically about sharing the gospel with Catholics. And it sounds like that's what this Catholic lady needs, someone to share the gospel with her. So listen to that episode and then maybe get in touch with Mike's ministry, Proclaiming the Gospel, for advice. There's there's a link in the show notes of that episode, and we will link that entire episode in the show notes of this episode. And then if, you know, in addition to that, or if time is of the essence, you could say something to her like this, maybe Um, something like, we know our time together is short, and it would just make me feel so much better if I could share something with you, something that's been on my heart. You know, even if you don't want to hear it, or if you don't think you need to hear it, would you mind humoring me and just letting me get this off my chest so I'll feel better, and then share the gospel with her? And if you need some help sharing the gospel, Mike's ministry can definitely help you with that. Or you can go to the gospel presentation on our website, go to a awordfitlyspoken.life and click on the good news tab. And let's all right now just take a moment to pray for our listener and for her friend's salvation. So pray with me, if you will. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, please give our listener the, the courage to share the gospel with her friend. Give her wisdom and clarity of thought and the right words to say at the right time. And we also ask that you would soften the heart of her friend to the gospel. Please give her the gift of repentance and faith and the sense of urgency that today is the day of salvation. For the sake of Christ in his name, amen. Amy, anything you'd like to add? Well, Michelle, that was a a lovely prayer, and I think that your advice says it all. Uh, Talking to family and friends about their Catholic religion is very hard. As we've said in those two episodes, it's probably one of the hardest people groups to reach because they believe that uh, they're already saved. They're good to know. Um, And I'm right there with you, my friends. I I also have friends and family members who who are Catholic as well. Um, I would maybe not share this podcast, as Michelle said, but but instead, uh, do share the gospel and Mike uh, Mike's resources. Uh, we are not her dear friend. You are, right? God has put you at her bedside in his providence and not us. So again, um, share the words that the Lord uh, gives to you through scripture, uh, maybe some of Mike's resources. That would be great. Um, you know, what our friends and, and loved ones don't need is debating. They, they don't need to have a debate. And she's, you know, she's dealing with her own end of life issues right now. What she needs most of all to hear is the truth about Jesus Christ, who he is, the real Jesus from the real word. So, and again, let's just keep on praying for each other. Um, so that's a excellent question. I'm glad she asked that one. All right, I've got another question lined up here. Uh, this one, uh, this one is also anonymous and I didn't have time to come up with a good name. I'll, I'll call her Diane. Okay. Diane's a good name. I like that one. 
Uh, Diane asks, I have a question regarding a marriage weekend that my church is doing with Family Life, who is partnered with the organization called Crew. I'm trying to find information and background on those two organizations before committing to joining one of those weekends. Please help me in any discernment you might have on this organization, specifically Crew. I think that there might be some red flags, as it appears they may be teaching critical race theory and also work with Matt Chandler as a speaker. Okay, I've got some thoughts and I'm going to share them. And I I don't want anyone to get the idea that, uh, you know, I, I do guilt by association because I don't. I, I, I absolutely have concerns about affiliations. So uh, let's look at it that way. First of all, CRU, what is it? Uh, C-R-U, CRU, stands for, or used to stand for Campus Crusade for Christ. And that's before the organization changed its name a few years back to just crew, kind of taking the Christ out of it as uh, uh, you're kind of getting the idea here. Um, it is a school campus ministry that tries to engage students in seeker-friendly uh, evangelistic outreach. Crew has most recently been known for yeah, kind of a, a growing weaker doctrine and watering down the gospel message, as well as its embrace and inclusion of uh, homosexuality and the focus on social justice. In other words, Yes, critical race theory is part of it. Now, some people believe that Crew was once known for solid biblical commitment to truth. Uh, I've not seen that, but uh, I'll give that the benefit of the doubt. What I do see now, though, is that it is infiltrated with woke social justice ideology. Uh, that you, it's just uh, it's gotten pretty bad. Uh, in November of 2020, several concerned crew staff members actually compiled a document in which they identified a significant leftward drift into uh, crew's promotions and teachings and staff training situation. So we're going to put some links in our show notes today so that you can go and research more if you would like to. All right, let's talk about family life. Uh, if you were to Google family life, you'd find all sorts of organizations. You'd find .org, .com, but we're talking specifically about familylife.com marriage events that they have. Um, I've never been to one, but I know people in my community who have, and they've liked it. It's kind of fun. Um, there, there's a lot of laughs, and they ask a lot of questions and, and just get, get you to think about your marriage. I'm not sure how uh, biblical it is, but even Events that are held around these parts include uh, something called A Weekend to Remember, if that uh, title is familiar. Uh, one of them is Blended and Blessed. I have uh, uh, friends who've remarried and kind of with blended families and so forth. Uh, they do talk about sex within marriage a lot. Uh, and one of their teachers is uh, somebody by the name of Sam Elberry. I don't know if you know that name, ladies, but uh, he's an Anglican priest who, uh, his part of his story, he says he came out of the homosexual lifestyle. Uh, he once had a website, call, website called Living Out, but he has abandoned that site. Um, he is dear friends with Matt Chandler from uh, the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, and Matt did invite Sam Alberry to speak on the subject of homosexuality with the hope of equipping the church to have gracious dialogue with uh, anyone immersed in the gay lifestyle. Okay, so you kind of have to look at that a little bit and wonder uh, you know, how far that goes. So you might want to do a little research there. 
Uh, the problem there is that Sam Albury has said that he still has same-sex uh, attraction, same-sex feelings that he is, um, you know, so so he's still kind of going through some things. So there's that. Um, Matt Chandler, who is he? Well, he's another one uh, that I don't recommend. Uh, among other things, he and his wife Lauren teach and promote the Enneagram at their church, which is definitely a New Age occultic practice. So uh, should I pay money to go to a marriage event with these connections? I would say there are better ways to spend your money and better, probably more biblically sound resources for your marriage. What do you think, Michelle? Oh, yeah, I agree 100%. Um, and to her her question specifically about critical race theory, yeah. yes, they are very entrenched in critical race theory. I was I had run a um, a series of videos on critical race theory that one of my pastors put together. Uh, I think I ran it last year maybe mm-hmm. and yeah. uh and one of the videos that that he they were showing how critical race theory has infiltrated all of these previously trustworthy christian organizations and they spent a long time showing video from uh a, a crew I think it was a, I think it was maybe a crew training session or something like that. It was, it was for all their workers, I guess, or something like that. And it, they just had speaker after speaker after speaker who would come up there and it, yes. So it is all, you know, there's a lot of critical race theory stuff going on. I'll have to see if I can find that and, and link that up in the show notes so, so that our listeners can can see that. Yeah, I, I think we might have done a podcast or two talking about that too. So uh, we, we may yeah. want to dig a few of those up and uh, just let you ladies listen to that if you haven't in the past. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Okay, well, our next question is from Anna on our Facebook page. And it's kind of a multi-part dilemma. So I'm going to break this up into a multi-part answer. So the, the first part is, she says, my husband and I belong to a national motorcycle ministry. This year, our chapter nominated and elected a woman to be our chapter president. She will lead our chapter, lead the meetings. She may lead prayer. Almost everything is voted on by the chapter, but if there is an issue or problem, she will be called upon to handle it, even if it involves a male member of the chapter. We feel this puts her in direct authority over men. Is this violating 1 Timothy 2.12, or is that just for a church setting? The meetings are a gathering of a body of believers, albeit from different denominations, she says. Okay, so just to clarify... Uh, Anna said she will lead our chapter. This this female president will lead our chapter, lead the meetings, and she may be leading prayer. And she handles issues and problems, even if it involves a male member. So I didn't hear anything in your question saying that she will be preaching or teaching scripture to this co-ed group. So I think your question is strictly about the authority clause of 1 Timothy 2.12. So let me read that verse just to refresh our memory on that. 1 Timothy 2.12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, as we know, 1 Timothy is one of the pastoral epistles. It's sort of like a policy and procedure manual for pastors about how to run the church. So when we read this prohibition against women pastoring, preaching, instructing men in the scriptures, and holding authority over men, it has a very specific context, the gathering of the church body. 
Now, that doesn't mean only within the four walls of the church building or only on Sunday morning. The body of Christ gathers at Christian conferences, workshops, all kinds of things like that as well. So the authority clause mostly, most likely applies here in this particular situation. It's just hard to say from the limited amount of information that I have. But let me move on to the next part of Anna's question. Our other issue is, she says, the national office of this motorcycle ministry has often said that while the bikers we minister to may not accept an invite to church, they will come to a less formal chapter meeting. Okay, so this is where we need to think about what is the point of the chapter meetings then? Is the point to share the gospel and preach the word? Because if that's the case and the woman whose chapter president is doing the preaching, then it's definitely unbiblical to have her in that position. Or is the point that the meetings are supposed to be a some sort of long-term or indefinite substitute for membership in a local church? Well, we got a problem there too, because that's also unbiblical. The Bible commands us to gather as the local church, not in a parachurch ministry meeting? Or is the point of the meeting simply for fellowship and for camaraderie or to do community service projects? Well, that's great. There's no problem with that. But that's not going to save anybody or grow anybody in the word. So my question in that case to the national office would be, so what if they come to a meeting? They still need somebody to evangelize them and get them plugged into a local church. Fellowships and projects are not a substitute for evangelism and the church. Now, and I know this is slightly off topic. Let me chase a little rabbit trail here. But this is this kind of thing is where we run into problems with parachurch ministry gatherings, especially those that aren't overseen by a local church and don't feed people into a local church. We don't see any parameters or instructions for parachurch ministries in the Bible. The biblical model is the local church. Okay, last part of the question. She says, we feel that having a woman as president could give a wrong impression that female pastors are having women in authority over men is okay. Are we overthinking this and being too legalistic? We are praying for guidance and seeking answers through God's word. Thank you for taking the time to read and God bless. Well, no, you're you're not overthinking this or being too legalistic. You're exactly right. That is exactly the impression that people are going to get, that female pastors and preachers and women in authority over men in the church are all just fine because all they see is a Christian organization with a woman heading it up. They're not going to distinguish between a parachurch ministry and a church and think, oh, it's okay for a woman to lead a parachurch ministry, but not a church. I mean, even most Christians, even really, really faithful Christians, a lot of times don't draw that kind of distinction because to them, church and parachurch ministry meetings are both just gatherings of Christians. And that's exactly why we need to understand that when we talk about 1 Timothy 2.12 and we say that this is a prohibition within the context of the church, that we understand that Christ's church doesn't just gather within the four walls of the church building on Sunday morning. They gather in homes for small groups and home churches. They gather at Christian conferences and retreats, at the park for Easter sunrise services, at parachurch ministry meetings, and so on. So no, if this organization wants to be biblical, they should not be allowing women to be chapter presidents. It doesn't matter if she's technically not preaching to men or or whether she is or not. 
or whether she's technically exercising unbiblical authority over them or not. It's the message that's being sent out. And the message that's being sent out by the national organization, the chapter, the woman president, and everybody who participates in the chapter under the leadership of that woman president is that when there's a gathering of Christians, it's just as okay for a woman to be leading them as a man. That is the message that's being sent. So now the question is, Anna, and I realize this may (laughs) present you with even more of a dilemma. Are you helping this organization proclaim this unbiblical message by your continued membership and participation? And are you spiritually comfortable with that? I would encourage you and your husband to pray about this, ask God to give you wisdom about what to do, and assuming you attend a doctrinally sound church, maybe set up an appointment with your pastor and get some godly counsel on this. Amy, do you have anything to add on this? Well, I think you gave her excellent advice. I, I also wondered what kind of oversight uh, the female leader has. You know, who, what, <laughs> where is, is there any kind of accountability at all? And, and, uh, so interesting, interesting situation, but I agree with your, your advice to Anna. And of course, I'm, I'm triggered by a, a memory that I had. I, I once belonged to a church where they did some, uh, reorganizing among the staff after a consultant came in, a worldly consultant, by the way, who, uh, had some business leadership advice. And at the time, uh, this is where the things can go terribly wrong. Um, the men's ministry, which was like, you know, 40, 50 guys, uh, and this was a mega church, uh, had to come under oversight from a female staff pastor. Yes, we had. Uh, now, she wasn't a pre, she didn't preach on Sunday mornings or anything like that, but she, just having that title of staff pastor, uh, was really problematic. Um, the woman did not preach, like I said. She was a leader in the church with that title. And anytime the guys needed to have something approved, a budget thing or whatever it was, she was the one who had the authority to give the final approval under this reorganization. So you can see how this was problematic and a lot of men, uh, left their, uh, men, this men's ministry over this. We hadn't been a part of that church in many years, but uh, it, it's, yeah, <laughs> it was very problematic, uh, let's just say. But yeah, so I was triggered. But yeah, it's, uh, you're, you're going to run into more and more of these situations, uh, I, I believe, in, in the years ahead. We've already seen it. So, all right, I got another question here. Um, this one is from Karen, who wrote me privately and said, I really enjoy listening to your podcasts with Michelle Leslie so much, and it's truly helped me in many ways. I've discovered in the past several years that I've been graciously blessed with the gift of discernment. I thank God for this gift, and I pray for wisdom in using it to, to his glory. But help! It seems everywhere I turn, uh, and most things out there are called Christian these days, isn't really. I know God God won't give me such a gift without providing me the knowledge and how to use it. May I ask how you began to use your gift? You and Michelle obviously have that same gift. I constantly find that so many professing Christians uh, don't actually want to really know when there's a danger lurking of false teachings, etc. And I know that we are to speak truth in love. But even as I do that, I'm still finding that I'm looked at with critical and judging eyes. How do I use this to honor God? Well, what a question, Karen. What a great question. And I'm so glad you asked. I know Michelle will have some thoughts on this. Um, as for discernment, it's, it's a wonderful gift that he has given you. We know that discernment comes from being in the word and knowing who our Lord is. And, you know, we need to know everything about 
uh, his nature and character that we possibly can through the Holy Spirit's breathed out word. And uh, so in a way, the gift of discernment really is for everyone because we are all called upon to know who he is, right? We And we do that through studying the Bible. Um, but discernment isn't an easy one to carry sometimes, as I'm sure that you know, just from your letter. Uh, I've learned to adopt the expectation that not many organizations and churches, et cetera, that claim the Christian title truly are. Uh, you know, the Lord knows who and what are his, and the challenging part is trusting him with that. Uh, so we, you know, we can kind of look at fruit and guess and, uh, but that kind of thing. But, you know, the other challenging thing for me with discernment as a gift is developing the wisdom to approach things with grace. Grace being, of course, not my own, because, <laughs> you know, mustering that up is, is always a challenge, but his grace. And that's not easy to do at first. And, and here's why this is so very important to God. Sound doctrine and discernment are no guarantee that we're going to be useful in the Lord's service. You know, despite their positive aspects and uncompromising stance toward those who had perverted the gospel in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, if you read that, the church at Ephesus gets a very harsh rebuke by the Lord Jesus. Here is what he said in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what does it mean to abandon the love you had at first? Well, we can kind of imagine. We know what it does not mean. It does not mean that they had failed to discern and warn people about wolves posing as sheep. They did this just fine. And, uh, you know, you and I could do that just fine, too. But what it does mean is the love that they had for God and the love that they had for one another at, at some point, it fell short of what was expected of them. Loving God is going to influence our love for one another. First John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What helped me was to keep that, keep those verses at the forefront of my mind. Um, you know, and the idea that not everyone who is deceived is going to stay that way by God's design. You know, he may use us as his providence or, um, you know, it, it might come later. Um, but if I truly love his sheep, if I really do, I will be caring and kind in my approach. I used to be much less graceful about this. And, uh, you know, all of us can so easily slip back into that attitude. Michelle, what are your thoughts? I know you have some. <laughs> I have so many. I just don't yeah. even know where to start. <laughs> um, uh, well, let me start with this. I, I'm sure Karen knows this, but may, maybe some of our, our other readers may not. Uh, know this. Um, I've had some people tell me that they have the gift of discernment. And when they say that, what they mean is that God whispers in their ear, you know, like, see that guy over there in the polka dot tie? He's a false teacher. Okay. Mm, yeah. That's not the gift of discernment, y'all. That is not the gift of discernment. Okay. <laughs> no. The gift of discernment is, is being able to 
it's really more of a skill than a gift. If you think of it, if you'll think of it that way, it'll probably be easier for you to understand. It is the skill of knowing God's word well and being a good student of God's word and being able to take and apply and compare God's word to what someone is teaching or what or how someone is behaving and being able to say, that person's behavior and teaching does or doesn't match up with what scripture says. Okay. Right. So it's, right. it's, it's really more of a skill than, um, than a gift. It, it's a gift too, but if you, if you think of it more of a, as a skill, uh, it, it will probably keep you from getting off track, you know, in the way that you think about discernment. And so, um, you know, we are all, and it's not, it's not just a gift, like all the other spiritual gifts, you know, some people have the gift of evangelism, but that doesn't mean only those people are to share the gospel. It just means it comes a lot more naturally for them because that's the gift that God has given them. But the rest of us, you know, shaking in our shoes, we're to share the gospel with people too, you know, even if we don't have that particular gift. And it's the same way with discernment. You know, even if you don't feel like you're particularly gifted at discernment or God hasn't given you that gift, you still have to be careful before you follow a particular pastor or teacher and you have to check them out and and you have to compare what they say against scripture and maybe get some advice from from discerning friends and, and things like that. So um, it's it's one of those things that we are all called to. So don't feel like, you know, if if you don't feel like you have the quote unquote gift of discernment, don't feel like that excuses you from being discerning. Just like not having the gift of evangelism doesn't excuse me from evangelizing when I can in the best way that I can. So just keep that in mind. And, um, and I think you'll be okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, our next question is from Miyoshi on our Facebook page. And she says, I'm not sure exactly how to ask this, but how many times or for how long would you pursue a friendship? For example, if you're the only one making an effort to get together, she always says yes every time I ask, but it's not reciprocal. Okay, well, I think that's kind of an issue of wisdom, preference, individual choice. And there are tons of factors to consider also. For example, is is she unsaved and you're the only gospel influence in her life that she's willing to listen to? Well, in that case, maybe you'd be willing to overlook her lack of reciprocity to continue pouring the gospel into her. Or maybe you're thinking it's a situation in which she no longer wants to spend time with you, and that's why she's not reciprocating, but she hasn't figured out how to turn down your invitations without hurting your feelings, and that's why she keeps accepting. Hopefully that's not the case, but that could be one thing. Um, or maybe she does want to keep getting together, but she's just so used to you being the one who, who reaches out, it hasn't occurred to her that she needs to be the one to initiate contact sometimes. Sometimes people just, you know, I'm like that. It just doesn't occur to me sometimes. Or, um, you know, maybe she would initiate contact, but she doesn't have a chance because you reach out to her so frequently. So you see what I mean? There are lots of variables and interpersonal dynamics at play here. Uh, if it's one of those last three scenarios, I would just, you know, gently and kindly talk to her about it. You're you're both adults. You're a Christian. I'm hoping she's a, also a Christian. Uh, two Christian adults should be able to have a, a loving conversation about this and come to some sort of Christ-like resolution, I think. Um, Amy, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes you can kind of tell when uh, somebody is uh, not enjoying your company, right? So <laughs> maybe, maybe you know, she feels like she's forcing herself on her friend, but you know, I have a feeling yeah. that, you know, it could be that uh, this friend doesn't know how to reciprocate or uh, just right. enjoys uh, Miyoshi so much that she just kind of looks forward to those invitations. I don't know. But right. uh, I, I would say, you know, you could gently prod her by saying, hey, you know, let me know when you want to go out next. I'll, uh, I look forward to hearing from you and kind of put that in her court. Maybe she's not used to having the ball in her court. So uh, just some thoughts, um, just some thoughts. And Miyoshi, if you truly uh, enjoy your time with her, that it, there's nothing wrong with pursuing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe it's uneven, right? It, it, it's okay. You know, that that could happen too. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question that I have. Um, this one is also from Anonymous. I don't have any other names. <laughs> but Anonymous writes, I recently wrote to a women's uh, study author named Barb Roos after reading her study on Joshua. And I sent her this message. I tried doing your Joshua Bible study, but I stopped when I read quotes by Richard Foster that you had provided from his book, Celebration of Discipline. I'm wondering why you would quote someone that practices contemplative prayer. And this was the author's response. Thank you for your email and question. Based on your email, I'm picking up on concern, even disapproval of any references to Foster. While I'm aware of differing, differing opinions of Foster and Renover, I used these quotes because they flushed out the point that I was making, not that his quotes were the basis of any theological or doctrinal statement. I might be making a mountain out of a molehill. Um, and, and this is where, this is the, the anonymous ask, uh, saying this again. She said to me, I might be making a mountain out of a molehill. Um, I might be nitpicking, but I believe we shouldn't compromise and we should have nothing to do with false teachers. Well, Anonymous, you definitely are not making a mountain out of a molehill. Fidelity to God's word is important. And I've never heard of this author, but she sure sounds like she doesn't want to hear anything that goes against her opinion, even when it's pointed out to her that Foster's teaching goes against scripture. And by the way, she is a Bible study author writing a Bible study book. So if she's going to be quoting people who go against scripture, you do that in some coffee table article. Don't you? Know, well, don't do it at all. What I would say, but, uh, but don't do it in a Bible study book because everybody reading a Bible study book is looking for truth. And if you're sharing truth about the Bible, why in the world would you quote Richard Foster? That's just my thought there. Uh, who is Richard Foster and what does he teach? Well, Foster has a Quaker background and teaches mysticism. Um, he wrote this book that was was mentioned here. It was in 1978, so it's an old one, uh, Celebration of Discipline. He's also the founder for this institution that uh, the author mentioned called Renevere, where he taught uh, contemplative prayer and also referred to as, uh, you know, centering prayer, breath prayer, meditation or listening prayer. Uh, there's also soaking prayer. There's a whole bunch of these things that fall under the contemplative prayer umbrella. I've got a ton 
of research on this that I'll post. Um, but really, uh, all of this is uh, to say that he is one of the most influential spiritual uh, spiritual formation teachers. And spiritual formation is actually a movement. A lot of people teach spiritual formation. Um, I wrote a white paper on spiritual formation, which I'm also going to link up in the show notes. Quoting Richard Foster is what New Agers and the leaders of the now defunct emergent church movement do. Leftists like Brian McLaren and Rob Bell loved to quote him. Biblically sound discerning pastors and teachers who care about the spiritual well-being of their flock do not quote Richard Foster. Why? Because contemplative prayer stands in contrast with what scripture teaches about prayer. Practitioners believe that one must clear your mind of outside concerns so that you can, you know, hear God's voice and, and it can be more easily heard and that uh, one may be united with the so-called divine spark within. Oh boy, ladies, the canon of scripture is closed. God no longer audibly is speaking or lighting divine sparks that we can be united with. The Bible tells us to be sober-minded. Don't empty your mind. We meditate on God's word. We fill our minds with his holy breathed out word. Michelle, any thoughts on that? <laughs> amen, 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 amen. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're if you're reading somebody and they're quoting people like, Richard Foster or, you know, any false teacher. I mean, think about it. Have you ever heard Beth Moore positively quote John MacArthur? I mean, you quote <laughs> the people you agree with. You know, you quote the people you read. If she's if she's like if I wanted to quote Richard Foster, I would have to go look something up because I don't know what he says because I don't read him. So she's reading this this person and and thinking of his quotes and thinking, oh, that was a good quote. I'll put that in there. So, you know, she's reading and being influenced by these people, which means that not, it's not just the quotes that are questionable. Probably there's some there's some other stuff in her teaching that's questionable because she's being influenced by people like this. So, you know, if you're reading somebody's Christian book and they're quoting false teachers, you need to consider that they're being influenced by those false teachers. It's not just a random quote. Now, you know, we always hear a broken clock is right twice a day. Well, you know, if you happen to read like if I happen to read an article that said something about Richard Foster, and he had a correct idea. What I would do in my own book is I wouldn't quote him, I would just explain the idea in my own words, you know, probably from scripture, if it's, if it's a good idea, it's supported by scripture. So, so that's what I would do. So yeah, really do consider that a red flag when you're when you're reading any Christian book, and you come across a quote from a false teacher. Yeah, I found Michelle, and I know you have too, because we've talked about this, that most, almost all false teachers, uh, you know, heretical teachers, they'll say something biblical once in a while. You know, I mean, even Joel Osteen at Lakewood Church, you know, Joel Osteen, he'll say something biblical, and that's how it works. You know, that's how uh, people get so bamboozled by false teachers. Like, oh, he said something from the Bible. Yeah. So, so we really have to study what the person says and, uh, you know, their behavior, but also what they teach and, uh, and just be aware, be careful out there. It's, it's dicey for sure. That's right. And, you know, that's, that's how false teaching works. You know, if you think about it like fishing, there's always a worm on the hook. 
You know, I, I I hate to compare God's word to a a worm, but but they will put that that worm of a Bible verse or a correct bi- biblical thought on the hook, and that's how you get caught. They don't just put the hook out there with nothing on it. They put they put some bait on it, and that's what causes you to get caught. So beware of those beware of those hooks behind the worms. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this part two of Glad You Asked. Don't forget to check out the show notes for all those links that we promised you. Uh, do go to our website and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform, if you wouldn't mind. And check out all the great resources at a awordfitlyspoken.life, including how you can support us through PayPal or Patreon. And until next time, seek what is pleasing to the Lord, pursue holiness, and walk worthy.